0: This week's Adrian Slade Show, recorded and produced before the news of the untimely death of our friend, our favorite host, and our visionary at Mojo 5 Doc Thompson. We love you, buddy. The presidential
1: motorcade was just passed through heavy crowds in downtown Dallas.
0: Destroying the media lives and dismantling the narratives. One story at a time. It's the A.D. Late Slate Show. Headline, New York Post. New York millennials are waiting tables to pull off student loans. What? They're working jobs? They've decided, hey, let's go ahead and uh, not worry about being in the basement, not worrying about making sure whatever crazy-ass degree we spent 100000 on is going to ensure our future, you know, let's let's not worry about staying in our parents' basement while we put out resume after resume and say, hey, uh, the degree I got should already give me the CEO's gig. You mean they had to take a job to pay off student loans? You mean they had to take a job that they did not want that brought in some sort of income? To pay off student loans? Say it ain't so, New York Times. But that's basically what they did. Here's another one. Newsweek. Millennials never recovered from the financial crisis. And it means they're struggling to have families. Wow, you mean that financial crisis? You mean the one that the government basically helped aid happen on both ends? You mean the one where government regulation allowed for the overtime lax laws and, and regulations and also ordered punitive uh, regulation punishment against lending organizations to make sure that they lend across the board and they don't show any preferential Treatment towards people with good credit history, um, good economic standing. They were supposed to just make loans to anybody, especially if you are a minority. We have to give you a loan for any reason. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning in. That was one of the reasons for the collapse of the housing market was because of the regulations of the Community Reinvestment Act. Kickstarted by Jimmy Carter, but then really ramped up under the Bill Clinton administration. And George W. Bush, under his administration, felt the rewards and the wrath of that regulation. You couple that with eight years of Obama stagnating wages because he basically, in the very beginning, put the threat of regulation against business to a point where they stopped hiring and they withheld money cash on hand, which led to mergers and acquisitions going off the charts in the first couple years of the Obama administration, because the only way a business could make money wasn't to reinvest in itself. It wasn't to expand. It was to go out and buy another business, sometimes unrelated to the business because of how much cash they had on hand. They had to get creative about how they made their money work for themselves because investment And the return on investment is what it's all about. It's not because they're in a business to give people a job. They're not in a business to go out and set up a subsidiary company that generally reflects with their business model for their type of service or product that they're in business for. They went out and bought any company that had cash on hand. Some of it didn't even relate to their industry, but because that money that they spent on that business then worked and brought money back in a return on investment. Under Obama, hiring stopped. GDP was under 2%. We were told that's the new norm. That's all that's going to happen. Of course, when Obama leaves, all of a sudden, businesses start hiring. Tax policy by the Trump administration goes into effect, and that gives business owners, CEOs, whatever the case may be, ease and gives them peace of mind to know that they're not going to be targeted financially, and so they start Giving bonuses, they start hiring people. Businesses start flourishing. GDP goes up. Employment numbers go through the roof. Even with the government shutdown, they still hit hundred, uh, what three hundred thousand or, or something to that degree a month. And and when it, where it was at like two hundred, maybe one hundred and fifty thousand something to that degree on hiring a, a month. And so, obviously, tax policy and regulation was the driving factor between what a business is going to do. Tax policy is a driving factor on whether or not a business is going to expand. And what happens is that trickles down into the employment of these individuals. So if you're a millennial, first off, you've been saddled with debt because you've been told your job would be secure if you got a degree. If you got a degree, you were golden. Well, then no one was hiring. Your degree you also went out and got wasn't marketable. You just thought, I need a shingle. I got to get the -the check-off-the-box degree. And in doing so, you are resorted to either waiting and holding out for that gig that you're supposed to get because of your degree, or you take it on the chin and go out and do like people back in my era did and started getting a job somewhere and just start paying off debt while you weren't in a situation where you were trying to build a family where you were stuck in a situation where you had new expenses. So it's amazing when you think about what these stories are pointing out. This one from the New York times, nearly one in every two millennials in New York state owes student loan debt. And many are pulling and pouring pints while waging war on state plans that could lead to smaller salaries. Thousands of these borrowers, are working as bartenders, wait staff, while paying off their loans and seeking more gainful employment in their chosen field as they struggle to stay current with their repayments. Many fear a reduction in their incomes. This is key. If the state's present tip credit, which permits bars, restaurants, other establishments to pay staff less than minimum wage because of gratuities, is eliminated, as state legislators are considering. Now, what you have to keep in mind is that sounds very bad on paper. They're paying them less than minimum wage, but the minimum wage rate for tipped employees, at least in Virginia, $2.13 an hour. It's been that way since God knows how, how long. That allowed you to receive the gratuities, which could put you in a tax bracket much higher than a minimum wage employee. That's why people wanted to work in, if you were, say, in a restaurant, that's why they didn't want to work as a kitchen staff member, because they would rather take their chances, take the risk of what they're going to go home with with take home pay and work in the front of the house, because some people may tip better than others. Some may not tip at all. But at the end of the day, the average and the average for the week for the month considerably outweighed the security of hourly pay given to you by an employer. But apparently some states want to get rid of this. Democratic Governor Andrew Cuomo, America was never really that great. Remember that, idiot? He's considering eliminating the tip credit. This is from New Food Economy. When a restaurant owner takes a tip credit, they're taking advantage of the federal minimum wage provision that allows them to pay their workers a wage as low as two thirteen dollars an hour. So long as tips bring their take home pay back to federal or state minimum wage, whichever is higher, the federal minimum wage is seven twenty five. Some restaurant workers and advocacy groups have been critical of the tax credit, pointing to it as one of the dysfunctional parts of the larger culture of tipping, which they say can allow sexual harassment to flourish. So they're going to base all this on sexual harassment they're saying restaurant servers, a group predominantly made up of women, which I would like to dispute that. Yeah, there's a lot of women in, in serving, but there aren't. They, I've seen situations where there was an equal amount of males. So maybe on the whole, but I don't think it's as overwhelming a disparity as a disparity that you would think but they're more likely to endure harassment and abuse from customers since their livelihoods depends on the tip they earn. Cuomo cited data from the ROC United report on sexual harassment in the restaurant industry in his tip credit proposal. But guess what? For the rest of the country, the tip credit is built into a way that restaurant workers are compensated industry wide, as well as the way that most diners are socialized to eat out and pay. Now, coming from somebody who is familiar with the, uh, you know, the hospitality industry as myself, I've seen this in action. What people don't realize is that tip credit allows you the opportunity for more wages, more tips. There's no limit to the tip amount that you can get. And the amount that you earn at that 213 an hour helps pay down the taxes when you claim your, taxes, you know, as far as your gratuities at the end of the day. That's why you would get maybe a blank paycheck or maybe your check would be three cents. But guess what? A portion of your taxes were paid and you walked out with what? A couple hundred dollars. You know, some of the chain restaurants were averaging about 80 to 90, maybe a hundred dollars. Some of the higher end uh, resort area restaurants were pulling in $200, 200, 400, you know, 500 a night. That's not bad. That's not $15 an hour. And if that's what you're looking at doing in the in the intern while you're putting out resumes, while you're trying to get something in your field, that's not bad. And so millennials are now feeling the effects of living through an economy that was god awful going back to its uh, to the days that they can remember in a position where They were growing up, seeing their families have to work together to get numerous jobs, seeing the fact that their houses were either foreclosed on or taken away or they just couldn't afford to move into a house that was substantial. And those things affected how they've, you know, made their worldview on investing and on how they plan to spend their money. And we're going to get into some of that on the other side of the break. Sponsor for this portion of the program, Era Financial Capital Management. Look, if you're looking to secure your financial future as much as you can on your own without the need for a government entity to promise you a financial future, when many times they can't, then take it upon yourself to take your destiny into your own hands by allowing a team of professionals to help you move towards a financially secure future. Era Capital Management. Call Jacob and his team. Contact them at eracapitalmanagement.com. You know, today's markets have little resemblance on tomorrow's markets. With that in mind, it's important to build unbiased, dynamic portfolios, robust enough to adapt with the changing times. Era Era Capital Management's three-dimensional investment approach gives you an intensive in-house process that is results-driven for today's uncertain world. ERA Capital Management is an independent, client-focused, registered investment advisory firm, an RIA, that is committed to delivering highly professional, unbiased financial advice to an exclusive group of investors. Contact them. ERAcapitalmanagement.com is the website. ERAcapitalmanagement.com So millennials have gravitated towards socialists for a number of reasons. And we've discussed these in the past. They decided to move towards other employment to pay down their student loans like we were just talking about for, you know, pulling pints, doing waitstaff jobs, server jobs, hospitality, whatever the case may be. And it's amazing because some of these states that wanted to eliminate the tax or the tip credit, many of these young millennials who side with the socialist have understood, yeah, we probably don't want to do that. And so they're looking at finding ways to finally roll up the bootstraps and pay down debt. And I know there's other things in the news we could be talking about, but I kind of felt like we need to revisit the reasons for the millennials and those who are of a age just slightly under them, why they live through the economic malaise that they live through. I mean, they attribute it to being greed. And wealth hoarding, and it's being preached at higher education. It's being preached by socialist, democratic socialists like uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, and these people like Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders. You know, the wealthy one percent. Blah blah blah. And then they were being preached that well, to you for you to compete, you had to have some sort of higher education. Or you wouldn't even be able to participate. You wouldn't even be able to succeed, which is utter garbage. So they went out and got some degree, any degree. They didn't care just to keep themselves above water, not realizing that was all just one big lie. So when you couple that with the introduction or lack of introduction to any sort of faith, any sort of higher power, any sort of natural right provider, which the Constitution is built upon... You now have a a group of individuals who want to move into financial security. They want security in their personal lives. But what they want is a group of people, flawed individuals, politicians, to solidify this. And they think that's their only solution. A collection of flawed, corrupt individuals. Because through sin, we are all corrupt. We are bad from the start. Those with faith lean towards faith because that's required of us to be better people. We understand that it affects us in the long run if we are not looking out for our brothers and sisters. And none of that's been taught to them. They're completely oblivious to it. So they don't believe in the higher power that gives us the natural rights that the Constitution actually enshrines. It's amazing. So, obviously... They're going to favor those politicians who were seeking, you know, the favor of their votes. You know, they thought these politicians were playing in regards to their favor, but they weren't. They were only favoring what they can get from these individuals, and that is election wins and votes and no results in the long run. Older millennials. Now, this is over in the UK, but it also falls into the United States they are still seeing the scars of the global financial crisis in their pay packets, making it difficult for them to raise children. And this is from The Guardian. Employees in their 30s earned 7% on the average than those who were in the same age bracket before the cr- uh, credit crunch. Workers who were in their 20s as the financial crash unfolded were the hardest hit by the resulting cut on wages. These workers have struggled to recover in the dips earnings, which fell about as much as 11% on the average between 2009 and 2014, The Guardian reported. The Resolution Foundation, a think tank, said these risks, it makes it harder to cope with the income pressures that are likely to be facing those in their 30s, including those trying to raise children, which many have now cited, well, you know, just go ahead and get an abortion. Yeah, great moral idea there. I don't think I can afford the kid, even though a lot of us, who made it happen. Eh, you know, he might be an economic imposition on the old pocketbook. Let's go ahead and execute him. It's ridiculous, but anyways. Meanwhile, baby boomers of age 50 or over are taking home pay higher than they did before the crash, and those in their 20s are enjoying better earnings than those a little bit older at the same age. So, obviously, there's a sense of anxiety that they've... You know, recognize the American Psychiatric Association conducted a survey of over 1,000 adults and found those between 20 and 37 at the time of the study were the overall anxious because they don't have anything as far as faith goes to place their fears in. They want stability. They want uncertainty met with certainty provided by a collective. A group that we've all suddenly appointed through elections, and you know, they must be the right people, and maybe they can manage all this, which is utter garbage because those people are the least trustworthy people <laughs> on the planet. You look at the polls that say Congress has the lowest approval rating of all. Well, then why would you want them managing every aspect of your life? Why would you want them managing? The economy to give you free college and free health care. What happens when the government shutdown happens? You get no health care because government shutdown can't do anything for you. Do you get education during that time period? Who knows? We haven't gone down that road yet. But if the last government shutdown showed anything, um, it's a good possibility that would have an effect on that. But they're looking for uncertainty. They're looking for that certainty or that uncertainty to be met with security. That's why the tiny house craze exists. Less income spent on housing. They can utilize every aspect of the square footage and that extra money they can use on experiences because, you know, material wealth doesn't matter to them because they've never been in a position to have it all and then lose it all and think, oh, my God, how do I even try to get that all back? It's why disrupt uh, disruptive business models that allow for additional income streams. They're accepted by these people. But they're not scrutinized under the uh, bracket of traditional business models. You know, they look at like Uber. Oh, well, you know, I'm just making extra money driving people around while I'm out. You know, I'm driving over here. Might as well pick this person up on the way and make some extra bucks. Guess what? You are in a business. You are providing a service. You are getting paid for that service. And you will be taxed upon it in a business manner. You may in certain localities, certain municipalities and states have to get a business license for it. Look at Airbnb. Oh, I'm just renting out my house when I'm not there, you know, or I'm renting out this extra room. It's going to make some extra money. You're engaged in business activity. No one is calling out the CEOs of the salaries of Airbnb's corporate board of directors. No one's looking at Uber's board of directors. You know, they were sold a bill of goods on higher education. They were told if they got a degree, they would succeed in life. And that the only risk that they would ever take would be the risk of the loan. They'd have to pay back on education. So they thought, well, hey, if I get a job the moment I get out of college, I can pay that all back. You know, it's a secured loan. No, it's not. Nothing is secure. Nothing. You have to fight tooth and nail to make things happen. Sometimes it doesn't work out in the way that you had planned just like with a child and abortion, just like with a career and a degree, just like you working in a field that you never thought you would work in. But I think we also need to look at some of government regulation that put us in the position that we are currently in because they look at things like the housing crash in 2008 as this big CEOs and banks were, were greedy and they caused this whole thing. Government regulation entitled the Community Reinvestment Act played a huge role in this from the Business Insider. The CRA, which is the Community Reinvestment Act, played a significant role creating lax lending standards that fueled the housing bubble. It was not a static piece of legislation. It evolved over years of relatively hands-off, focused on processes that include focused on outcomes. Regulators, beginning in the mid-90s, began to hold banks accountable in serious ways. Banks then responded to this new accountability by increasing Community Reinvestment Act loans – which moved to entail relaxing lending standards. As banks lowered their mortgage standards, mortgage rates remained high. The laxity was spending, but incentives to borrowers and even refinancing was under relaxed standards and remained low. But as the years went by, these factors changed. The Fed pushed interest rates down. Fannie and Freddie, you know, popular Mortgage-backed security loans by the government popularized low-income securitization. Low defaults, loss rates from lax loans didn't seem that risky. And in short, lax lending standards created in the response to the Community Reinvestment Act. That dug the pit that was waiting to get filled when the circumstances were right. The CRA was a factor in lowering lending standards. And at this point, the lax lending standards were already in place over the 90s into the 2000s, and it was basically an affirmative action situation for lending. So think about a market. You have an item that is in demand. You have people that can only enter into this market if they have the ability to shop for this demand, and that being housing. What happens when you take everything that is regulating that demand out as far as whether or not you can purchase, purchasing power, credit history, assets to liabilities. What is your financial situation? If you take all that away and just allow a ton of people to rush in, the market gets saturated with demand. The prices go up. A housing bubble starts. Lending was given out like it's candy. And it was done so because we don't want to discriminate against, you know, minorities. And so we have to conduct affirmative action through lending and next thing you know the banks were trying to find ways to make money off of it so that they can recoup the spending and in turn a huge bubble happened government intervention caused the market distortion and now you've got the situation you had and the collapse happened in 2008 and many of these people grew up during this collapse and they blame it on the wealthy they blame it on the ceo's But they never blame it on the politicians. And now they're backing politicians who want to attack your ability to have the possibility to make wealth in your life. To me, that's something you probably want to reevaluate back in just a second. This is Adrian Slade.
1: The Adrian Slade Broadcast. Capitalism without rules is theft. Encouraging companies to build their business models on cheating people, that's not capitalism. That's not competition in the marketplace. That's not producing consumer surplus. So what I believe is capitalism with serious rules. And that means rules where
0: everybody gets a chance to play. That's Elizabeth Warren. More attacks on the wealthy and And those that succeed in America, for her to sit there and talk about capitalism is theft. No, taxation is theft. You earning your wages, your work, maybe you own a business. Maybe the fruits of your labor is coming in and it's being taxed. And they're spending it on, what, mountain lions, on treadmills, studies that are worthless. They're blowing it on Planned Parenthood out there killing children. But she's going to say capitalism is felt theft, which is utter garbage, because capitalism is taking capital and putting it to work, using capital to provide maybe a product that's in need or demand. Uh, maybe they're bringing in services that you could utilize. And in doing so, they just want to return on investment. You know, they just want something in return for the money that they put into it. And maybe they believe in that product enough to make it the best that it can be. That's not theft. The fact that they've earned a return on investment, maybe a dividend, maybe a salary increase, maybe the the company has, you know, more earnings that they can expand. That's not theft. Theft is when you take money out of the economy and blow it on things that are worthless, like government spending. But that's the way she is, you know? I mean, that's the same individual who sat there with all of these crazy little tweets about, you know, the wealthy. You know, she sat there and said, billionaires like this guy make me wonder what our country needs more of. Ranches with golf uh, golf courses designed by PGA players and fireplaces imported from European cities and castles. Or universal child care and a green new deal. Ultra millionaire tax hashtag. She went on to say, this billionaire NFL owner paid $100 million for a super yacht with its own IMAX theater. I'm pretty sure he can pay my hashtag ultra millionaire tax to help the millions of yachtless Americans struggling with student debt loan and healthcare expenses. You know, it's not your position to tell me whether or not I should have a yacht, whether or not I should have an IMAX in my yacht. That's because I succeeded. You know, if, if I want an IMAX in the back of a Humvee, and I could drive around blowing gas emissions and having a big old party in the back of it, watching, you know, Independence Day. I don't know why I would watch that, but I guess the, you know, the the effects would be great, watching them blow up the White House. <laughs> I mean that jokingly, Um yeah, that that's my prerogative. I earned that right. It's not a right mandated, just like healthcare is not a right. But your freedom to exist is a right, and apparently they don't like that for children under Planned Parenthood. And then we've got idiots like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. They're lauding in this lady. I mean, there was... <laughs> One individual actually put up online... A picture, a video, actually, of her standing there during the State of the Union, stoically. No smiling, no clapping, no ovation. An American hero. Also, no connecting with the high five. Yeah, there she goes. No sale, no high five. But that's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. You know, she has a clip of her talking about similar crap that she discussed with, that, or that Elizabeth Warren talks about. You know, she actually put out a tweet the other day that she said, the fact that my candidacy and win was unlikely enough to generate excitement around its novel or novelty proves my premise exactly. Congress has been 80% male, disproportionately rich, and deeply unrepresentative of American public. Wins like mine should be more, more common, and they aren't. The only part that she got right was that any elected official is deeply unrepresentative of the American public. They're not there for us. They, You know, the fact that when they polled those who watched the State of the Union and they said, oh, 70-some percent are against allowing illegal immigrants across the border. 70-some percent want some sort of border security. Why is nobody running on that? You look at Obamacare, the most unpopular piece of legislation that was shoved right through. Why is nobody trying to completely repeal that for a private solution when it's so unpopular? And she wants to say, oh, you know, they're just ripping the wages away from people.
1: We implicitly recognize as women that the pay gap and the wage gap is an injustice that persists through secrecy. And it's an injustice that persists to the present day. And the only way that we can combat that is through organizing in our personal action ourselves. So I'm so happy that, that the Paycheck Fairness Act addresses, among many things, two very critical ones. One is that we cannot ask for salary history and pay people depending right. on their salary history yes. Any yes. More. Yes, anymore. Anymore. Right. Because it is time that we pay people what they are worth and not how little they are desperate enough to accept. It is time to pay people what they are worth. And that has nothing to do with their history. It has everything to do with what they are worth today. And the second thing is that it makes it uh, uh, it makes it legal and it makes it totally permissible to share your salary information at your workplace and that's incredibly important because for all of those who say that the wage gap does not exist and that it's a myth then they should have no problem proving that uh, (laughs) by allowing the disclosure of salaries in the workplace so i'm so thankful to to just be able to uh, co-sponsor and be that backup in this legislation that so many people have worked so hard to bring today
0: yeah she's out there talking about some paycheck fairness act It's time that we pay people what they're worth, not how little they are desperate enough to accept. She doesn't want any sort of employment history, which history is your resume. This, yeah, sometimes you got less money, but you can negotiate at hiring. Contrary to popular belief, you can negotiate what kind of salary you want. But these are the frauds on the left. They think everybody's being kept down by the mean old CEO. And what's interesting is Donald Trump, President Trump, brought this up in the State of the Union when he mentioned the fact that socialism is completely un-American. Oh, by the way, by the way, let's talk about Elizabeth Warren real quick because she is a fraud, and she's out there talking about capitalism is theft right there with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And by the way, did we mention that she uh, filled out her state bar registration card as Native American, received all of the perks, that come with being, you know, a Native American citizen? Yeah, we're going to just gloss over that, never mind the fact that her credibility should be shot. But anyways, The Hill was talking about Donald Trump, talking about socialism and demeaning socialism as an ideology, and rightfully so on the public forum of the State of the Union. The Hill says, you know, Trump called out the ideology of socialism. Progressive Democrats accuse President Trump of engaging in scare tactics for his warning in the State of the Union address about new calls for socialism in the United States. Quote, I thought it was great. I think he's scared. Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez told reporters when asked about Trump's remarks. He sees everything is closing in on him and he knows that he's losing the battle of public opinion. Really? You think so? Ocasio-Cortez is a Democratic Socialist, a Democratic Socialist, that means they're a nice socialist, who has soared to political fame following her victory in a Democratic primary last summer. She's joined other liberals in the House in calling for a single-payer health care system and has also supported higher marginal tax rates on the wealthy households and as well as a Green New Deal, which would basically bankrupt the country and leave us with no sustainable energy source. Great idea. Bang up idea. And so what happens is when you look at some of the things that prove that socialism is a complete farce in action, think about Panera. Panera Bread will be closing its last what-you-can-pay restaurant in Boston. The move comes after the business's nonprofit restaurant became unviable. Eater, I guess it's a magazine website, reported that none of the restaurant's five locations was self-sustaining. Boo! Imagine that! The program Panera Cares was initially created to serve food to low-income people nine years ago in 2010. The concept was a pay-what-you-want business model in which patrons visiting the restaurant could eat for a donation. In 2010... The company's founder and CEO said that the program's aim was a test of humanity. Guess what? Humans are flawed, sinful individuals that are corrupt to the core unless they find grace from Jesus, but I'm not going to go into all that. I'm just letting you know the premise is flawed. We aren't some great human, uh, human being organization. We're not some great group of people with goodness in our hearts. They will rob you blind, because sin is there. But we don't want to get into that. We can't talk about that. Would people pay for it? Asked uh, Ron Sayek during his TED Talk. Would people come in and value it? Of course, he's the CEO of Panera. The answer was apparently no, because here we are, less than a decade later, and (laughs) no Panera Cares franchise are running in the black. The outlet also reported that the project's nine-year run many of the locations were mobbed by homeless people and students who ate without donating because the mob at one location was forced to limit its homeless patrons' meals to a few times a week. They overloaded the system. The Portland-based Panera Cares was reportedly only recouping between 60 and 70% of its total cost. And the losses were attributed to students who mobbed the restaurant, who ate without paying, as well as homeless patrons' who visited the restaurant for every meal for the week. The location eventually limited the homeless to a few meals a week. And so in a statement to Bloomberg, Panera Bread said, Despite our commitment to this mission, it's become clear that the continued operation of the Boston Panera Cares is no longer viable. We're working with the current bakery cafe associations affected by the closure to identify alternate employment opportunities for those affected by this closure. And he actually stated that the company, uh, you know, that the nature of the economics did not make sense on Panera Care. So socialism in action there, Cortez. You know, socialism in action there, Elizabeth Warren. Guess what? You make it free or you make it based on a donation and people will take advantage of it. Mm. Speaking of taking advantage of something, maybe you should take advantage of cat coolers. If you're looking for a great cooler, This thing is like Gibraltar. It's like a freaking rock. It is indestructible. And if you use the promo code Adrian, you're going to help out Mojo 50 You're going to help out the Adrian Slade Show. And you're going to get yourself one heck of a cooler. This thing keeps items cold for hours and hours on end. You can take it to the job site. You can take it to go fishing. You can take it to, you know, the next sports outing that you're going to be tailgating at. Take it down to the beach because we're coming up on some summer weather. Get your cooler, catcoolers.com. Make sure you go online, catcoolers.com, and use the promo code Adrian at checkout for 10% off. And you're going to help out Mojo50, and you're going to help out the Adrian Slade Show. Mojo50, go to catcoolers.com and t- type in the promo code Adrian for your 10% off. Yeah, we're going to get into the craziness of Alexandrio Ocasio Cortez. Here in just a minute. But government regulation, government overtaxation, government intervention always leads to negative consequences. Obviously, we've seen examples of how the government putting their hands into the housing market caused the entire collapse and the economic malaise that millennials and even some younger grew up in. Now they're getting second jobs. Now they're taking jobs like, you know, uh, serving and bartending to pay off student loans that were supposed to be their get-out-of-jail-free, for lack of a better term, their their road-to-success card. And when we get into taxation, it's really interesting because all you can do is apply it in real, everyday life. You know, we applied the socialist tactics of, Yeah, pay as you go. And look what happened to Panera Cares, right? Fell apart. So look at what's happening in New York. Governor Cuomo, this is from the New York, uh, New York Times. Governor Cuomo announced that the state income tax revenues plummeted by two point three billion since he introduced his new budget plan. A bombshell that will force him to curb spending. Cuomo attributed the revenue drop in December and January largely due to new federal tax code provisions, as well as the volatility in the stock market and other uncertainties, right? Cuomo's preliminary analysis claims that much of the impact is coming from a drop in revenues from the state's highest income earners, most impacted by the loss of write-offs of state and local tax deductions known as SALT. So basically what he's saying here is on federal taxes, you used to be able to Deduct your federal and state taxes, mostly your state taxes. Could be they're included in income, but then you can write, you know, off tax payments or tax, uh, you know, as a deduction. Of course, that was taken out with the new provisions. But really, it's switching the burden of taxation upon the states. If the states really want to encourage a good tax policy on a federalist basis, federalism being the states the municipalities have the control, then they would make better tax rates, more encouraging tax rates, which means lowering those tax rates, which New York obviously is not doing, but that's what it does. And so the federal government was basically saying, no, we're not going to let the state sit there and jack up the tax rate and then have them write it all off on their federal end. So then they get these nice little tax breaks on the federal level and then tax the death out of them on the state. We're just going to take that deduction out, and now the states have to be uh, basically mindful of how they tax their citizens because it's a state issue, which I'm fine with. And so that being the case, New York has taxed the death out of its citizens, and they're all leaving. Who would have thought that people who have the opportunity to leave certain tax areas and go to favorable competitive tax areas would do so in the names of keeping more revenue which means you can hire more people which means you can invest in more of your your business which means you can grow your business which means you've brought in more taxpayers you've brought in a bigger tax base at a lower tax rate and in and in turn basically help the state's budget and also you help people to succeed in their own economic, personal lives. Seems like a no-brainer there. But that's not what we're getting from New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. And so now we have to look at things like the Green New Deal. <laughs> yeah, The new radicals of the freshman class of the 116th House of Representatives, they proposed a new energy plan. And it's not electric, boogie-woogie, boogie-woogie. It's not electric at all. Listen to what all of the candidates for president have said about this new deal. Cory Booker, excited to join Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Senate Markey on this historic Green New Deal resolution to address the peril of climate change and worsening inequality. Our history is a testimony to the achievement of what some think is impossible. We must take bold action now. Kamala Harris. I'm proud to sponsor Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Ed Markey's Green New Deal. We must aggressively tackle climate change, which poses an existential threat to our nation. Elizabeth Warren. If we want to live in a world with clean air and water, we have to take real action to combat climate change now, I'm proud of Representative AOC and Senator Markey on the hashtag Green New Deal resolution to fight for our planet and our kids' futures. Kristen Gillibrand, a hashtag Green New Deal is ambitious, it's bold, and it's co-sponsoring this resolution with AOC and Senator Markey because it's the kind of action that I wish to take to conquer the biggest threat of our lifetime. Yeah. That's basically what she said about it. And what's really funny is the fact that uh, Joe Scarborough, you know, Morning Joe from uh, from MSNBC, he, you know, he's supposedly the, the Republican in the room. He said right wing commentators continue obsessively reporting on AOC and claiming she reflects the consensus of Democrats. Nonsense. It's Nancy Pelosi's party. Full stop. Quote, the green dream or whatever they call it. Nobody knows what it is, but they're for it, right? And apparently he's quoting the speaker. Well, you've got four of your top presidential candidates vying for this Green New Deal. So I don't know. You tell me, Joe. Seems like the party is siding with old AOC, Sandy on the block, over top of Speaker Pelosi. Listen to the Federalist on this clip about the Green New Deal. This is supposed to be like an FDR, JFK kind of deal. Solar energy, I think, generates about 1.3% of our energy. We would dismantle contemporary society to get this done. It would cost $25 bazillion to go into every single house and change the water cooling system, the heating, give up your car, retrofit everything. It is just immature. It's something mm-hmm. in, like someone in high school would write. Oh, yeah, that Green New Deal. It's amazing. It's basically, they've said it's got typos throughout. It's written like a child in high school wrote this. Framers of the Green New Deal, this is from the Free Beacon, released an overview of their attempt to drastically overhaul the U.S. economy and the energy system, which included guaranteeing economic security for those unwilling to work. Do we not have that already? SNAP programs... Heck, even the legacy of Obama phone. Yeah, we've got that. And Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez said the Green New Deal is likened to the goal set in the early 1960s by President John F. Kennedy about his mission to go to the moon. Only going to the moon might have sounded a bit insane at the time, but it might have been lofty, but there was a little bit of plausibility to it. Guess what? This Green New Deal is literally insane. An overview of the documents released by Ocasio-Cortez's office, which contains numerous typos, laid out what the Green Energy Deal was set out to do. The proposals and promises include economic security for all who are unable or unwilling to work. So if you just want to ignore employment, you're good with the Green New Deal. And of course, like I said, It's all about security with those that they're trying to reach on the left. It's all about security. And when you think about this Green New Deal, the provisions are insane. I mean, think about banning affordable energy. They are actually calling for the elimination of fossil fuels and energy production, which also uh, not only includes oil, and natural gas, one of the cheapest sources of American energy, but also one of the reasons the United States has been able to lead the world in carbon emissions, in the reduction of those carbon emissions. You know, they, this is a breakdown of what they say that they're going to offer. A job with family sustaining wages, family and medical leave, vacations, retirement security, all built into the thing. High-quality education, including higher education and trade schools. I guess that's all paid for. Clean air and water and access to nature. Healthy food. High-quality health care. Safe, affordable, adequate housing. Economic environment, free of monopolies. And economic security for all those unable or unwilling to work. Oh, don't forget they're talking about the possibility of having to ban things like, uh, here it is, Bonus insanity, they're going to ban meat. Ocasio-Cortez admits that we can't get to zero emissions in 10 years because we aren't sure that we'll be able to fully get rid of farting cows and airplanes that fast. Really? I mean, am I wrong here, or is she like a plant for the GOP, where she gets to get out there and make all these crazy gaffes, she gets to give us all this fodder, she gets to provide all this insanity, and... The left is buying into it. Are we using her as a trolling device? I don't know. But Senator Mazie Hirono from Hawaii, she talked about the Green New Deal, and she said, well, because they want to get rid of airplanes. That's another provision. They want to get rid of airplanes completely and vehicles. They want to get rid of the combustion engine, right? I guess we're all going to take light rail and electric cars and no airplanes, Although Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, I don't know how they're going to go campaigning around the country, most likely by airplane, because, you know, airplanes for me, not for thee. That's how it rolls. But she said, it's going to be pretty hard for Hawaii if you get rid of air travel. I would think so. You're kind of, you're ocean locked there. But the Green New Deal gives us insane ideas, such as the banning of plastic straws. There is a provision where they want to ban plastic straws, and they've done so in D.C., and now they have spent money, 60000 a year, for what is basically a plastic straw cop to go around and investigate all of these restaurants. D.C. Department of Energy and Environment Inspector was handpicked by the city as the straw monitor. I want to be the plastic straw czar. Can I be the Secretary of Straw Regulation? I mean, what does a real-world... You know, application, a real-time application of this look like. Are those plastic straws, sir? You're coming with me for a felonious distribution of polypropylene tubes in a dining establishment. I mean, is there a plastic straw jail? Yeah, what are you in here for? Murder one, G. I was dealing heroin and was attacked by some rival thugs and up in my hood. Took out the entire gang with my AK. How about you? Uh, I was using plastic straws. Yeah, and they were the big ones, like the ones you get at McDonald's that you can soak up, suck up the uh, ice cubes with, along with the sugary Coke. I mean, I was really bad. In fact, I used the plastic straws with an illegal 40-ounce soda. Maybe they'll have a TV show, a reality TV show like Cops. (laughs) Straw Cops was filmed on location. All suspects are presumed innocent until proven guilty of plastic straw violations until tried in a court of law. Yeah, we're responding to a call. Tropical Smoothie. They've been dealing heavily, heavily amounts of illegal plastic straws, tons of illegal straw usage. It's causing chaos throughout the neighborhood. And look at what the plastic straws are doing to the environment. Look what it does to the turtles. It embeds in their shells, keeps their shells open like like little pup tents and the gulls. What about the seagulls, the dolphins too? We've already eradicated them from their death sentence of plastic grocery bags and birthday party helium balloons. Now we must save them from the cancer. That is plastic straws, the evil of the plastic straw, even though I'm not sure how they get those. Unless they're embedded in that roving pile of trash in the middle of the ocean lurking around to ruin aquatic life everywhere. This is the insanity of government regulation, especially when they cloak it under environmentalism. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning in. You can check out the show on Mojo50, mojo50.com, iHeartRadio. Search Mojo5. Listen to us Wednesday night, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Saturday, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Sunday, midnight, and 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Get the podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spreaker, Tune in, iHeart overcast listen to us on wherever podcasts are hosted and don't forget to review the podcast and give us a good review we'll see you guys next time god bless and god bless you doc godspeed